G'day and welcome back to Talking Leadership TV. Our guest today is Terry Martin. Terry was a previous guest on the podcast and I'm looking forward to sharing our discussion with you. Her career really started in marketing agencies and TV, both in Sydney and London. Over time, she progressed to heading up businesses in the marketing, communications, not-for-profit and education sectors. And she's also provided professional services to organizations such as Microsoft, Unilever, Telstra, Qantas, Lendlease, and the big four banks, just to name a few. Terry's now the CEO and founder of The Business Bunch, a consultancy that helps organizations to overcome business challenges by outsourcing part-time experts in the marketing, sales, HR, general management, CEO support, board and advisory board space. She's also the vice chair on the board of ADHD Australia and in 2016 was awarded one of only 30 places in the Marketing Academy Leadership Program. Added to this, she regularly mentors career women as part of the Future Women organization. She's the proud mum of two amazing teenagers, so fully understands the joys and challenges of juggling parenthood with a fulfilling career. And as she states, she wouldn't have that any other way. Thanks again for joining us. We focused our discussion on the differences between general managers and CEOs, as well as talking about a fully hybrid remote working situation and what that means from a leadership context, amongst other issues. As always, thanks again for joining me. If you like the content, please drop a like or subscribe. But as always, enough from me. I'll hand over to Terry. Terry, welcome back, mate. Thank you for joining me again. Thank you. Lovely to be here, Eric. Mate, it's been four years between conversations and uh, there's been a few things happening in your professional life that I'd love to chat about in the podcast. But first things first, so we've got two topic areas that I'd like to pick your brain on. The first being the difference in leadership when you move from a GM role to a CEO role, sorry, a CEO role. Now in that space, I was of the delusional understanding that CEO and GM were interchangeable positions within a business. Why, why have I got that wrong? Look, I think because ultimately they're top leadership positions and some, some businesses just have a GM and some businesses have CEO and some have both and it can be confusing. And I, and I, I know myself, especially if the business isn't huge, you might be thinking, why would I need a GM and a CEO? So I've, I've been a CEO for about 15 years and now I've stepped into a role. Um, now we're, sorry, beg your pardon. I've been a GM for 15 years and, I, and I've now stepped into a role that's CEO. They are actually very, very different. So ultimately a CEO is visionary. So they're always looking forward, looking at the next challenge, looking at, you know, the eye is on, on, you know, the future, trying to work out what needs to happen and how, they, how they're going to get there. A lot of CEOs then aren't always particularly great at the operational. So taking that vision and then going, okay, so what steps do we need to take to actually get there? What, what, what team members do we need funding? What kind of operational setup do we need? Um, you know, and everything in between. Then perhaps not always that good at that. Whereas GMs actually, that's their that's their gig. You know, they're they're operational. They're supposed to go. I know where we're going. But there's a million steps in between that, and I've actually got to make that happen. Now, don't get me wrong. Some CEOs are brilliant at operational and some GMs are brilliant at, you know, visionary. But I think they're, they, they are very different roles and um, they do take different skill sets. And so what I see a lot of is a lot of, you know, CEO and founders of businesses that have been operational, you know, and they've grown their own businesses. And it's really hard work and it's a hard grind. 
but they get to a point where they they almost some of them don't know what they don't know next and so or they're not sure how to, to take that next move or what steps are involved or what kind of people to hire um, and so the, and then often they get in their own way and so they've been brilliant at growing their business to a certain point and then of course often um, you know it stalls so the, you know that there's this idea that they want to be bigger or be in bigger you know different states or hire more people uh, or grow revenue or whatever that might be and then there's still the point of contact for everything and there's still the sign off and they maybe don't have the capacity nor the capabilities to actually then get it to the next stage. So a GM has that kind of operational uh, know-how to really be able to understand all the steps that are involved and all the people they've got to talk to and all the technology that needs to be employed in order to actually bring that vision to life. So having if you've got two really good people where you've got one who's visionary and one who's operational, often that's hugely successful and that can really, really help um, to drive a business forward. So, and thank you for clearing that up. That makes a lot of sense. As you started rolling out the definition, what came in my mind is this is probably already being done with those of an entrepreneurial bent that, that may want to be entrepreneur founder slash CEO, but don't have those operational skill sets. And look, many of the entrepreneurs that I've talked to will freely admit I'm crap at the detail, but I just want to work in that headspace looking forward. And I, I see the the core difference. Now, in, in your travels, Terry, if I can be so bold, is the GM a good sounding board for the CEO within the business being the most senior of the managers in the business? Or is that a is that the Rubicon that you don't cross if you're a CEO that you leave your general manager to do the general manager stuff and that at the CEO level, you engage people like the business bunch or other organizations to provide tactical strategic sort of that foresight thinking that you might need well what's your view there mate that's actually a really good question so what you don't want is a visionary ceo saying you know let's do x and then you've got a gm going ah but we can't because oh and that's going to be too hard and that's going to be too expensive ultimately though you don't want the opposite which is just a yes man who goes yeah 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 we'll do it and then it fails it's a really really fine balance where a g a really really good gm would be able to go, listen, I'm going to take your idea um, and I'm going to work it to the best of my ability, but there may be some roadblocks and there may be some challenges. I will try to overcome them for you, but I'm going to let you know what they are and we'll work around them. And you might have to change your vision slightly, but don't worry, we'll still get to the end goal. And I think, you know, it's a real trust thing. And um, a lot of CEOs aren't used to working with a GM. So that's why kind of our business is about placing people on a part-time or contract basis so they can kind of get in there and go, hey, this is actually what you need and these are the types of people and we can kind of put it in place and then we could step out. You know, maybe the CEO is okay managing it or maybe the CEO then goes, actually, I do need someone like this full time and then we can kind of help replace us ourselves, if you like, and place someone in there. So I think it's, yeah, it's got to be the right person, you know. It's like you never want to be the yes person, you never want to be the no person. You've got to be the, yep, I see where we're going. And you've got to trust me to get there. It may not be the, the path you'd take, CEO, but it, it will be the right one. So it's a, it's, a, it's a definite balance. Does the size of the business matter? So what and why I ask this question is if you think you need a GM on a part-time basis to build some foundational things, then, yeah, getting somebody in for a short amount of time to do the GM stuff so you're freed up to do other things 
is important, but I think there's some learning there for the CEO that if you do really need an ongoing GM presence in the business, then there's going to be some advantages. And um, I've, I've not played in that space or been involved in organizations where this is done. So yeah. I'll go back to the question, does the size of the business matter? It's going to matter, let it being blunt, it's going to matter from a, you know paying salary because a, a CEO and a GM, let's let's assume, would be on you know fairly substantial salaries. So the business needs to be able to carry that. I guess it really um, so that's going to be a, a absolutely key priority is determining whether the business can afford both salaries and, and is happy to do so. And that's why sometimes that part-time contract offering is more, you know, uh, exciting because we're not taking a huge cut. You're actually, you know, only only offering that as a, a small amount. Um, I think the other thing too is whether a CEO can really look at themselves and go, yeah, I am really not great at this part. And if I don't get the foundations right at this point, growth won't happen or it will happen and it will totally fall apart. So what we see again is a lot of, you know, uh, patchwork because, you know, that'll do, or we'll just do that, or I'm not really sure, let's just hire this person, oh, that didn't work out, because I don't, you know, I don't really have experience in, let's say, HR or marketing. And, you know, it's okay for a bit, and then it starts to get wobbly, and then it's when you've really got this this vision, right, this growth ambition, and then you find that actually it starts to all fall apart. That's that tipping point, I think, where if you haven't Look, so I'm a huge believer in getting the foundations of a business right. Like I truly believe that if you don't do that, it doesn't matter how wonderful a business person you are or what your vision is, it it's at risk of falling apart. So it's about really recognizing that that's important to growth is a little bit of taking a breather, looking at how we've got things, you know, have we got processes in place so that when we hire people, they know the way we do things. You know, do we have all of our HR correct do we have all the jds done uh people on the right salaries you know do we have kpis and ways to measure that in place you know there's, there's a whole raft of things you know do we have a crm a customer relationship management tool that allows us to capture our details of our clients so they're all in one place you know it's all those things that um again when ceos and founders are, are doing business they're kind of on the fly doing things this works quick quick you know let's do that great you're trying to grow the business and I'm telling you that that just won't cut it. And um, I think that's where that GM kind of thinking and way of seeing things really adds value. Yeah, 100%. And um, I guess you're not limited to the number of GMs you could have because if they're technical operational specialists, could you have a scenario where there's a CEO and multiple GMs providing assistance to the CEO in different parts of the business? That's a, that's a really good question. So in very, very big corporates, they they structure like that. I would say in small to, to medium-sized businesses, the answer is probably no, because what you want by nature of a GM is that they're generally managing the whole business. Now, you might have someone like, well, I've got a head of marketing and a head of finance and a head of HR and a head of production, whatever those roles are that work into the GM. But um I think ultimately you want someone with their eye on every single part of the business and that's ultimately what that, that GM role, role does. Yeah, and that's a good um, delineation there, I guess, is in this context, in this conversation, I should say that that will make um, a difference in thinking about that. I, I guess one thing before we go on to the next topic area is you really do need to have a founder, entrepreneur or 
uh, CEO that is self-reflective enough to know that they need a GM or maybe they are the GM and they need to hire a CEO. Have you found that conflict without naming the business? Has that come up in your travels, Terry? Look, I'm going to say not in my travels because I, when I, in my past life, I was obviously hired as a GM, right? And so I was, I, I had, you know, CEOs who recognised that they actually needed support in that way. And we work with businesses who are starting to say, oh, I, I, I'm not able to move in the business. I need some support, like how to, how to actually operationally push us forward. So I haven't had that. But what I have seen are businesses actually um, fall apart because you've got a visionary, a lot of strategy, a lot of forward thinking, lots of ideas, and no one making it happen. And then, you know, or they're trying to make it happen and it's happening too quick and those foundations are, are weak and it, and it falls apart. So sometimes that can actually be the demise of a, of a business or the reason why it can't grow beyond a certain point. My particular interest in um, whether it's the, uh, the general manager or the CEO is to understand that he or she has the capacity to be introspective in those roles when they're applying their leadership skill sets and to understand that you crossing the lines there between those two roles will only make the job more difficult. So the, the, the delineation of responsibilities, I, I would think, is key in that process. Is that, is, is that true for you? Yeah, absolutely. So with all great intentions, a CEO can recognise that they need a GM or someone to help them operationally. Then they bring that person in and then the CEO can like not let go of control. And so they're still wanting to sign everything off and still want to see everything and still want to check things and still want to change things. And it it negates the need for a GM. Like a GM won't stay for very long. They'll be like, what's the point of this being micromanaged? You know, I'm too senior. I'm too experienced. This is crazy. So it is one thing to recognize that you need it. It is another thing to recognize that you need to actually get out of their way. And I mean, we know that's quite good leadership, right, Eric, where you, if the, the best leaders are those that hire experts who know more than them and let them do their job and trust them to do their job and um you know because that's when they'll flourish it's when people say yeah yeah i need a gm um but what are you doing and hey, can i just check that again and oh we didn't do it like that and you know no let's let's have another meeting about that you know that and they get in their way and it, it's never going to work yeah no uh, i'm 100 percent with you so terry look let's move on to the next topic area and if you'll indulge me i might paint a bit of a picture here in the discussion around leading in a fully remote workplace, because this um, this is applicable to myself. I'm in a role now that is fully remote and, and I'm seeing this out in the world. So post uh, COVID-19, and I wouldn't say exactly post because we're still getting hit with COVID-19. I was in a meeting this afternoon where one of the participants was at home, but dialing in with COVID-19. Um, the, yeah, yeah, the, the, future workplace and that uh, move to fully remote workplaces. If I had to ask you, what are the, the the tick boxes? What do you have to tick off to actually move to fully remote and do some, so it's a two-parter, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll be fair. What's the tick sheet to know that you need to do it? And is it an industry specific thing or is it a business size thing or something else? Yeah. So so it's really interesting you've come into a business and it's remote. Like that's that's interesting because that's not what I'm doing and what I've done with my business. I've set it up from being remote from the start. So the things that I consider are 
how do I onboard staff? Like, you know, how do I ensure that everyone understands what my business stands for, how we operate, like what's our values, you know, how do we do things? Um, they get that and there's a proper onboarding process right from the outset. Um, make sure more probably more check-ins um, than I would normally right at the start to ensure, you know, and make sure it's a open door policy. Now there is no door, but an open Zoom policy or an open call policy, if there's any problems, they can always call. Um, I, I also just think that it you have to trust and that that can be challenging. Uh, I know because you're used to being able to just go over to someone's desk and say, hey, what's going on? You know, you've actually got to trust them. So again, it's framework. So it might be being very clear on timelines. So if we've agreed to deliver a project, be really, really clear on what the timeline for that is, but don't just leave it to the last minute, check in on them. How are you doing? How can you help, you know, um, can I help you? Um, definitely templates and making sure people understand so that they're representing, in my case, of course, I hire either contractors or part-time staff, and then I place them in other people's businesses, right? So they're representing the business bunch, but they're sitting in another office. It's almost double whammy, right? A double challenge because they're sitting in another culture, another organization. But again, it's being open and honest, um, you know, ensuring that there are times to connect as well. So making sure there are opportunities for you all to 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 connect and, and do work together and maybe once a month or once a week or whatever suits your organization. Make sure, like I'm not a believer for, for organizations where you've got employees and they're working full time generally, I'm not a believer in a fully remote offering personally. I think hybrid is better and there must be opportunities for everyone to come together. I especially think that's important for young staff. Um, I worry about the young stuff. If I think about myself and I reflect on my career, I know it would have taken me a lot longer to learn if I hadn't have had the opportunity to watch senior staff members interact, sit on the phone, uh, negotiate, uh, present, talk, you know, talk things through. I, you know, I, when I was young, I was always watching, always trying to take it in. How are they doing it? What do I need to do there? Oh, okay. That's a good idea. You know, if you're sitting at home, you're missing out on all of that. And I think that what we will see is probably, you know, staff members who who are actually, you know, they're stifled in their growth because of that. So I think it's important to have opportunities to come together, definitely. Um, I think it's hard in your position if you're coming in and, you know, you're new to leadership and you're new in a situation to try and get those relationships going. My normal, I hire people with where everyone understands the intent. We understand that it's remote. We almost kind of dive in further and, you know, lean in as the, as the word suggests, you know, lean in and go, okay, we know this is remote. So what do we need to do? Um, so it's, I, I, I think there's going to be lots of people talk about this as time goes on. I think you have to be probably more trusting you need more guardrails and expectations. You need to be clear on things like timings and when things need to be delivered, but also don't expect that they're just going to hit, you know, check-ins. Um, you need to be open to people calling you, texting you, messaging you, all the different platforms, you know, at any time, making it aware that you are open to talk to them at any time they need to. And I think, you know, I think some businesses will flourish. I think some will struggle. I think some people will flourish. I think some people will struggle. I don't think it's a one size fits all. I think it's just going to be time that tells us. And I think, you know, we'll you just ebb and flow to your staff members and what works for them and what works for you. It's a really hard question. It's a really hard area, I think. You've you've touched on a lot of things there around the 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 complexities here and it's not 
a simple pathway. The fully remote is easy to say, not so easy to implement. And there are, you know, if, if you're talking from a leadership lens, and that's the only lens I'm going to bring to this, is there's cultural issues within the business about how do you create a continuous improvement culture when you're all remote, um, mm -hmm. the degree of trust that you need if you're happy to have a uh, geographically distributed business where your experts, the people that you want to place as trusted experts in other people's businesses are doing what they need to do. So the, I think the PD um, of someone in a, in a fully remote workplace will be a little different and there'll be very different expectations than someone who's working um, in-house on a daily basis. And there's, I think there's good reasons for that and you've outlined almost all of them. I, I think though, one thing that um, people still haven't, I think fully grasped yet is the long-term impact on um, generations of new leaders as they come through, let alone generations of staff, because the, the attractiveness of working remote for me was built on a previous role that I had where I was almost fully autonomous, but I was part of a structure yet the geographic nature of the industry that I worked in kind of lended itself to it. And in this new role, same deal, but I think I've gotten used to it. And uh, for me, and some will have a different view, and I think it's legitimate, uh, extremely so, that I don't need other human beings to get motivated and to do the things I need to do. I don't need a team environment. I can thrive in those, and I understand why they're important. But for me, I'm, I'm talking for me here, I can work by myself because I've I've hit a point in my career where I've got the professional chops to do what I need to do alone and it will yeah. just get done. Whereas someone coming in you and that that real worry that you've got, which I share with you, is on the come up, if this had happened to me when I was in my twenties, I'd be real hesitant about the kinds of roles I would want to do. And um I don't think we're you know, industry by and large, and I I get your view on this not all businesses and not all businesses in certain industries will go fully remote because of the nature of their work. I, I think we're going to have everything from hybrid to traditional to something else in the middle. And I think that works as long as the people in those businesses wanted to work. Is that, is that fair call? A hundred percent. So, you know, I've, I've spoken uh, before actually on TV, I was interviewed about, you know, what is it about these kind of CEOs who are mandating they go back into the office? And and I've had discussions with lots of different leaders and I love hearing different points of view because there is a different point of view from a business leader or a business owner than there is from uh, from an employee. And, you know, my belief was I think it will get to a natural state where people will either stay or they won't because they'll say, I love the job, I'm happy to come in. Or they'll say, you know what, no, I don't want to travel every day. Uh, or I want to be around my kids or whatever that might be. Um, but I do also understand why businesses are mandating it. Like I actually get it from that point of view as well. Um, you know, some businesses have manufacturing plus offices. Well, why can't the manufacturing people work from home? You know, like obviously they can't, but that makes it unfair. Uh, and, you know, it's it's about providing a culture and a collaboration. And there are some businesses, especially in the creative fields, which really do need collaboration. I think though, 
the one thing I'll say is every organisation probably has to treat it differently and the best thing they can do is literally sit down with their employees or, or provide them with the mechanics to be able to voice their concerns or their wishes. But I think it's also up to employees to listen to the employer's concerns as well. So an employer could say, I actually find this hard to lead in or, you know, we've got inconsistencies in our staff or, you know, and what it would be beautiful is if they could come to an agreement and say, look, we're happy to do hybrid, but pay to pay, but perhaps it's only one day you work from home. Or we're happy to come back in the office, but, you know, can we leave an hour early? I don't know what those things are. Like, I, I personally think the old nine to five thing is gone or it should, should do. It's so old and antiquated. But that structure has been in place for so long, it's, it's harder just to get rid of it, right? But I hope that ultimately people run their businesses in collaboration with their staff um, saying, this is why we're doing this. This is why as a business we need to do it. And the staff can say, okay, yeah, I understand. Well, maybe we could make some concessions over here or I don't know. It depends. So, yeah. so I mean, time will tell, right, Eric, with how all this pans out. People are trying to, every business is trying to work it, work it through at the moment. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I, I, I think uh, from my experiences and some of the leaders that I've seen in, in the industries that I have had some touch points with is some leaders only really want people back in the office because they can't adjust to a sense of control where they don't have absolute control over their staff. And that I'm not talking from a dictatorial point of view. It's there are traditional work models that have been inculcated in some people that you're never going to engineer out irrespective of a fact that um, you could do any amount of research that might suggest hybrid workplaces are more productive or trust um, putting that hundred percent faith in your staff means you'll get a more productive staff member because they feel the trust. Whereas there'll be some counter arguments and I, I can understand where this is coming from that, um, as the ultimate decision maker and the person responsible for the success of the business, if hybrid doesn't work for whatever reason, you need to have a structure that works for you. And where there is an ability to do more research in this space is when you have a CEO or a GM or an entrepreneur that may be accountable to boards and there's a friction between what those in the business are doing and what those on in the board want to see happen and I, I I hazard a guess here but I think it's already happening just it's not as uh, televised as people might think because we're all I think we're all trying to work it out um, I, I for not for one second believe anyone had the right formula when COVID hit but what it did do is it started to put a bit more bargaining power in the hands of the people that we lead and without those people, you don't have a successful business. And I think it, it's incumbent on those in leadership roles to recognise that. And if you don't, and you really don't have to, I'm only, this is only one opinion, but I think if you don't, you're setting yourself up to fail. Yeah. And, and look, at the end of the day, every leader is different. And if a leader wants to invite or mandate that his staff come in or she, she mandates that the staff come in, that's their business. And if the staff don't like it, they they have every right to leave and they can go somewhere that's flexible. And someone else might will probably come along and say, I'm actually okay with that. So I think, yes, there's, you know, initially I was thinking, I think what you'll see is people lead with their feet. And then I was like, yeah, but that's not the only thing that matters to employees. 
it, it's such a, you know, it's, it's so many things matter. It's how you're treated. It's, you know, your career project trajectory. It's your salary. It's, do you love what you do at the heart of it? Or you actually feel like you're making a, you know, a, a, you know, your role is worthy. Um, and so some people go, well, actually, that's more important to me than working from home. Some people might say, I actually don't want to work from home. <laughs> like I'm actually done with being around the kids and, you know, the washing and all that kind of stuff. So ev everyone's different. I, I, I think it'll get to a natural state. There'll just be those businesses that are all remote. There'll be those businesses that are hybrid. There will be those businesses that are, you know, all in the office and people will just decide whether they want to work for them or not. And then that will either change people's, like, you know, leaders' minds or not. Yeah, it sounds like the uh, democratic... Uh, outcome that you would hope to see but I think in that transition process where there will be a need for uh, professionals is in guiding what the transition might look like because I, yeah. I, I for a second don't believe everyone has the skill sets needed to make a change if that's what they want to do and um, probably my last point here and summing up some of what you've said and I, I think I think I've got this right, but I'm I'm happy to be I'm happy to have my mind changed that in the end, CEOs and GMs and entrepreneurs and founders, whatever the title is, you're looking to have an ongoing productive relationship with the people that you work with. You want to achieve your goals, whether it's in a not-for-profit or for profit for profit space. You have people that you're accountable to and you want success to look a certain way, but you need your people there to deliver that success and uh, I think it's maybe the best way to sum this up it's an ongoing conversation uh, that's, uh, uh, and I think it's going to be ongoing for quite some time because I just uh, be, because I actually don't think there's one solution and so I think everyone wants a solution I think everyone's kind of going oh we all want to know that hybrid works or we all want to know that bringing back people will up productivity and you go actually it's probably a lot more to do with how you manage them the kind of company culture whether they feel like they can achieve, whether they feel like they're trusted, you know. And like you were saying, you've got those leaders who are set in their ways. Well, they're probably not going to know how to lead an, a hybrid or remote. And so they're, they're actually not going to get the best out of people because they don't know, you know, how to get out of their way, how to trust them, how to let go of control. So, yeah, we'll see, you know, how it all turns out. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic and it sounds like at the core you are as well. Uh, it's just around um, being realistic about what can be done. So, Terry, thank you for your time today, mate. You're very welcome. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Eric. Thank you. That concludes our podcast for today. I'd like to thank Terry Martin for her time and, of course, valuable insights into this thing called leadership. Our next podcast drops tomorrow, which is Thursday, the 6th of July. It's a co-hosted podcast with Talking Leadership TV and the Best Practice Network. My co-host and good friend, Mr. Kevin Bennett, will be joining me and we spoke with Dr. Stephen Morse looking at modern slavery and implications for leadership. It's a very interesting topic area, one that I wasn't familiar with. I hope you'll enjoy it and as always please drop a like on the podcast if you're vibing with the content subscribe if you can to help us build the channel have a good day rest of the week and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV